invite you to turn with me again in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. And as we read these words again, may the reading of them call to our minds all that we've heard concerning this nine-flavored fruit of the Holy Spirit, which he produces in the lives of all of God's people. Galatians chapter 5, in contrast with the deeds of the flesh, and let's begin there, verse 19. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But... And here's a great contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, let's pray again that God would produce these fruit in us and work even as we hear the word again, as we've perhaps had a uh, quick flashback of all that we've heard. And now we're going to look at gentleness tonight, verse 23, the first word there, that God would work. What a great contrast. If we manifest these things to a great degree, even to a little degree. How wonderful that looks in this ugly, sin-cursed world. Let's pray that we might shine more brightly. Let's come before God. Well, Lord, our God, as we come before you, we thank you that your spirit does work these things. We confess that we were once deluded. We were once filled with all of these ugly things, the work of the flesh, the deeds of the flesh. But by your grace, you have begun a good work in us. And we have seen something of the, perhaps even just the kernel, perhaps just the seed, perhaps just a tiny bud of these things being developed in our lives. We ask that they would come to full fruit, that they would be manifested in many ways, that this flavor would not only be tasted in a little degree, but that even the odor of it, would come with us as we move about in this world and that the world would take notice and ask us a reason for this hope and for this difference that they detect in each of your people. Oh Lord, may we shine like stars in this wicked and perverse dark world. Do this great work in us. We desire it, not that we would get a name for ourselves, but the praise of the glory of your grace would resound through this world. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Well, we come again to this first word in verse 23. So this, if you've been keeping count, this is the eighth in this ninefold flavors of fruit. Uh, the eighth, gentleness. And perhaps you've heard someone remark, oh, now there's a real gentleman. Well, perhaps it would be said after someone, a man, holds the door open for a woman. Uh, 
Uh, is that what we're talking about here? What is gentleness? Is it just holding the door for somebody? <laughs> well, I think we'll find out. It goes a lot deeper than that, and it's, it's much more uh, radical than that. What kind of a character is it? Gentleness. Gentleness. Well, that's what we want to find out this evening. And so we're going to follow this uh, outline that I hope that's been helpful to you to have a kind of standard approach to each of these aspects of the Holy Spirit's fruit. We're going to ask, what is it? Where does it come from? Or how do we get it? And then we're going to ask, what hinders it? So that we can fight against those things. And then just some words of application. What does it mean for us tonight, today, in our lives, in this week that, come, that is coming before us? So there's our outline. What is gentleness? Where does it come from? What hinders it? And what does it mean for us today? And so we'll begin there with the definition. What is gentleness? Well, the Greek word, and I'm not going to tell you because it wouldn't mean anything, but the Greek word, the dictionaries, the Greek dictionaries tell us that the word in this noun form means gentleness. <laughs> All right? Gentleness, mildness, or meekness. And these, if you look at various translations, as I have good translations, solid, you know, word, uh, more literal translations, uh, there are two words that come up, either gentleness or meekness. The New King James, I believe, says meekness. So what are these words? So then you, so, okay, that's what the Greek word means. What does that mean? So you look up the English words, gentleness. Well, gentleness, my dictionaries, various dictionaries say, the quality of being kind tender or mild-mannered. Well, kindness we already had. What is it? Another dictionary said the quality of being cal calm, kind, or soft. Another said the quality of not being, and often you find some of these words, you get more of a flavor for what they mean by looking at the opposites. The quality of not being violent, severe, or strong. Free from harshness, sternness, or violence. Hmm, that gives us a little bit more of a handle. Now, the English word meekness, get this, this is what the dictionary said. Meekness, the quality of state or state of being meek. Now, that's really helpful. Thank you. Uh, then they go a little further and they say, a mild, moderate, humble, or submissive quality. And then you turn to your commentaries. I'm just giving you a, a bit of the process of what I do when I prepare these things. Uh, you look at the commentaries and my two favorite New Testament commentaries, Hendrickson and Lenski. Hendrickson says, gentleness toward one another and toward all men. Well, thank you. Gentleness, he defines it as gentleness. The opposite, now he gives opposites, the opposite of vehemence, violence, and outbursts of anger. Well, that gives the contrast that we see with the deeds of the flesh, right? Lenski says the opposite. He doesn't even try to give a positive. He says the opposite is to be arrogant, vehement, bitter, wild, and violent. So, again, you, I think you get something of the flavor, and even we just know what it means, right? So, the conclusion, gentleness means being calm, tender, humble, submissive. Now, we look at the word used in the 
Bible. And of course, that's the next step. And you look at the English words and how they're used. And you go back and look at the Greek word and how it's used and how it's translating Hebrew words in the Old Testament. There's, there, then you generate a fair amount of material to study to consider what the Bible's saying when it says the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Well, we find in the Bible that the triune God Jehovah is the great example of gentleness. What? This God who has wrath against sin? Yes, indeed. Listen to a few verses, and I invite you to turn with me. Psalm 18. Now, Psalm 18, does that ring a bell to anybody? Well, let's, let's look back there, and maybe it will as we look at it. Because actually, we just had a sermon on Psalm 18 a week ago. Psalm 18 our Lord's Supper, we considered that this psalm uh, speaks of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the midst of this psalm, let's look at verses 30 to 35. As for God, right, so now it's going to describe something of our great God. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tried, tested, proven. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me. And listen. And your gentleness makes me great. Wait, wait, David. David the warrior. Weren't you just talking about God training your hands for battle so you can run upon a troop? Bending a bold bronze? Yes. But what makes you great, David? God's gentleness, God's gentleness makes me great. Now, I consulted with Pastor Carlson, who just preached on this psalm. Uh, I asked him the question, now, was David writing this before or after his sin with Bathsheba? And his answer was, none of the commentaries pointed to that. In fact, the heading of the psalm says, he wrote this after the Lord delivered him from the hands of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So that would have been earlier in his uh, kingship. So he's not saying your gentleness in dealing with me and that particular sin makes me great. But David was taken from following the sheep. David was taken from sitting on the hillside looking at the stars and saying, what is man that you're mindful of him? David knew his sin even before the incident with Bathsheba. Your gentleness. You've dealt with me in gentleness. And think of how that made David great. Even when he was fleeing from his enemy Saul. What did he do twice with his enemy Saul? Well, he had him there in the cave. You remember he and his men were hiding in the cave. And Saul came in to relieve himself, to cover his feet, <laughs> the euphemism. And his men said, David, God has given him into your hand. And all he did was cut a bit off of his robe 
And then his conscience smote him for doing that. Do you see David's greatness there? David had this enemy. He could have slain him. And he said, no, far be it from me to lift a hand against the Lord's anointed. Do you see his greatness? What made him great? God had dealt with him in gentleness. He deals with his enemy in gentleness. Not in rage, not in seeking vengeance. Those opposites of gentleness. He had him again there in the camp when he and one of his men go down to the camp, his spear bearer, and they sneak in and God put a deep sleep over the whole camp of Saul. And they take his spear from his head and he calls to him from the other side of the valley. Is that you, my son, David? Again, he spares this man who is seeking his life. You See what a great man David is. What made him that? God dealt gently with him in his sin. Has God dealt gently with you, brethren? He has. If you're saved by his grace, you know it's nothing you earn, nothing you deserve. He's dealt more than gently with us. It's your gentleness, David says, that makes me great. Think of the messianic king in the psalm, Psalm 45 and verse 3 through 5. Here we have this messianic psalm celebrating the king's marriage. Verses 3 through 5 of Psalm 45. Gird on your sword, on your thigh, O mighty one, in your splendor and majesty, and in your majesty ride on victoriously for the cause of truth. And so you see the king with his armor, with his sword and spear and buckler, and you think this is a picture of fierceness for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness. Let your hand teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp. The peoples fall under you. Your arrows are in the heart of the king's enemies. But you see, this very warlike picture is for the cause of meekness. You see how David is concerned not to rule with an iron fist, but to rule for the cause of meekness, gentleness. It is the messianic king, of course, that's being spoken of here. The king, the one who's fairer than the sons of men. Another example of God is the great picture of gentleness and meekness. How did God deal with Elijah and his meltdown over Jezebel. Look back at 1 Kings chapter 19. It seemed to me someone spoke about this not too long ago either, but my memory fails me as to the details. But it won't hurt to look back here again. Here is Elijah with this great triumph over darkness, the great triumph over King Ahab and the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Asherah. And he, flee, he, he runs before the chariot of Ahab to Jezreel. And verse 2, Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, This is chapter 19 of 1 Kings, So may the gods do to me and even more. 
if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So he is afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. So here he is running from a woman. He stood up to King Ahab. He stood up to all of these prophets, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the Asherah, 450 of one, 400 of the other. That's 850 prophets. Now one woman <laughs> vanquishes him. Mm. The fury of a woman is terrifying, we've been told. Well, so it was for Elijah. And so what does God do? Does God come and say, what are you, a wimp? Man up here. Well, you know the story, and I won't read the whole lengthy chapter, but first of all, he lies down under the juniper tree and says, it's enough, O Lord. This is verse 4. Take my life. I'm not better than my father's. And he sleeps. And an angel comes and says, arise and eat. Gives him angel food cake. And he wakes up then and he sleeps again. And the angel then wakes him and says, arise, eat. The journey is too great. So he eats. And in the strength of this food, it says he goes 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. That was some cake. God strengthens him. God doesn't rebuke him right out. And he comes there to a cave on Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. And he, God says to him there, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? And he again repeats his uh, complaint. I've been zealous and I alone am left. And God says, go stand on the mountain. And so, you know, he goes and he stands on the mountain and the Lord was passing by. There's a great and strong wind, but the Lord's not in the wind. Then there's an earthquake. The Lord's not in the earthquake. After the, the earthquake of fire, but the Lord's not in the fire. And after the fire, a sound of a gentle blowing, a gentle wind, gentle wind. It came about when Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in his mantle, went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And behold, a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then we have this recommissioning of Elijah. Go, return on your way to the wilderness. You shall anoint Hazael, Jehu, and Elisha. He gives him direction. He puts him back to service. But he comes in a gentle wind. You see God, his character? What did we just sing in that hymn, the first hymn that we began with? And I would have chosen this. I didn't ask for this, but Pastor Chansky chose it. No harshness hast thou, and no bitterness. God is that great king of gentleness. In his dealing with sinners, we deserve hell. We deserve wrath. We deserve violence. He comes in gentleness. What a great God we serve. The king of gentleness. And so we get a picture of what it means and how God is dealing with these situations. One more I want to read from the Old Testament. And this is in Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. The word gentleness is not used here, but it is pictured in God's dealings. 
Isaiah 42, verses 1 to 3. But now thus says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you and I've called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, I just looked and I'm in the wrong chapter. It was good. I was wondering when I was going to get there. Go back to chapter 42. It's also good. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry out nor raise his voice, nor make his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not be disheartened or crushed until he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands will wait expectantly for his law. A bruised reed. You ever feel like a bruised reed? You ever feel like just a little push and you're done for? Just a little more and you can't take it. Will God break you off? Will God snuff you out? This passage assures us that's not our God. He takes that bruised reed, that reed that, you know, is bent over, and we would probably get our uh, pruning shears out and just say, that's not going anywhere. He comes and he gently straightens it, maybe puts a, a popsicle stick or something next to it and binds it so that it will grow strong. That's our God. Gentleness. What a God we serve. Thrice happy he whose God is the Lord. We read in the psalm this morning. Jesus in the New Testament, do we see his gentleness? Let's look in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 11. We find the noun form of this word gentleness, excuse me, the adjective form of the noun. The adjective, of course, is gentle, the noun gentleness. And here in Matthew 11, we read Jesus' appeal. It seems to me we had this preached not too long ago also. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Well, taking a yoke, that sounds like work. But it's his yoke. He's with you in the yoke. You're not alone. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my load, my burden is light. This is our Savior. My yoke is easy. I am gentle. Our Savior knows how to deal gently with those who are close to being crushed. Feeling the burden of sin. Blessed are those 
who have this burden, it shall be lifted. Then turn to Matthew 21, as Jesus is now approaching Jerusalem. And they bring to him the colt, or they're going to go get the colt, the donkey. This is why they did that. And he's quoting now from the Old Testament, Matthew 21, verse 5. This took place, verse 4, that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle, and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Mounted on a donkey, gentle. That's our Savior. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yes, he's gentle. And we find Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 as he exhorts this obstreperous, <laughs> troublesome congregation. What is going to move these hard-hearted, stiff-necked people? Well, Paul appeals to them in this way in 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1. Now I, Paul, myself, urge you. Okay, Paul, but remember, they're not, they're, they've got a little trouble with you. Well, we saw earlier that he was encouraged by the coming of Titus, uh, as we had our scripture reading this morning, but still there's a bit of tension here. And he says, I, Paul, myself, urge you. Well, is that going to go very far, Paul, you yourself? Oh, wait a minute, he's not done. I urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. And he uses two synonyms. I who am meek when face to face with you, but bold toward you when absent. He says, I urge you. I urge you, listen. I urge you to pay heed to all that I'm writing to you in this letter. I urge you by the meekness of Jesus. Now, Those dictionary definitions that I read to you earlier, did you notice one thing that maybe stuck out and even was a bit jarring? They define gentleness as also weakness or being the opposite of being strong. Does that fit with a picture of Jesus being gentle? The dictionaries get that aspect of it. They, they, well, let me say that. Maybe the English word has that connotation. But that's not what we should fill into what Paul is saying when he says we should be gentle. We should have gentleness. Because Jesus, as our example, is not a picture of weakness. He's not a picture of one who's lacking in strength. You picture those statements of the Psalms, you know, David, the mighty warrior. But he's a gentle king. But he's not a weak king. He's a strong king. You think of Jesus... Think of one example of his meekness in his submission to his father. Where is that seen in the broadest strokes? Isn't it seen in Gethsemane? You see Jesus saying there on that occasion when he's praying to his father in Gethsemane. When he has set his face like flint ready to face the cross. He says... Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. 
Is that weakness? It's gentleness. It's meekness. But it is not weakness. In his strength of character, he accepts the cup of God's wrath and drinks it to its bitter dregs. When he returns on his white horse, conquering and to conquer, he will deal with his enemies. But he will deal with gentleness with all of his people, his lost sheep, gentle. And so gentleness includes strongly submitting to the will of the Father in heaven. So here's our conclusion. God himself, the standard of gentleness, just like all the other flavors of this marvelous fruit, God is the example. He doesn't deal with us as our sins deserve. He deals with us gently. He's long-suffering in his gentleness and goodness. Wait a minute, long-suffering? Yeah, we had that. Goodness, yeah, we had that. You see these flavors? It's kind of like uh, a smoothie. They get blended together in here. Oh boy, could we manifest more of this beautiful smoothie of the fruit of the Spirit? So here's my definition of what Christian gentleness is, that Paul says this is the fruit of what God by his Spirit is seeking to produce in each of you. Christian gentleness is that grace of Spirit-created excellence, whereby the Christian is humbly submissive to his Heavenly Father's will. That's one aspect. Submissiveness, gently submitting to God's will. Submissive to his heavenly Father's will, and he deals graciously then with his fellow sinners. Gently dealing with fellow sinners. Listen to Matthew Henry. Now, you may remember I preached, well, it's been probably about three years ago, that we looked at the Beatitudes, two and a half anyway. And one of them is, blessed are the meek. It's the adjective form of this noun. Blessed are the meek. And Matthew Henry says this about that uh, word meek there in the beatitude. Blessed are the meek. The meek are those who quietly submit themselves to God. So there's the submissive element. To his word and to his rod. His correction who follow his directions and comply with his designs and are gentle towards all men, who can bear provocation without being inflamed by it. You see, there's the negative that we read in those definitions, not violent, not vehement. Gently responding to provocations, they are either silent or return a soft answer, who can show their displeasure when there's occasion for it without being transported into any indecencies, who can be cool when others are hot. Oh, there's a good quality of gentleness. Cool when others are hot, and in their patience keep possession of their own souls when they can scarcely keep possession of anything else. The robbers are coming, things are falling apart, but they keep possession, the gentle, the meek of their own souls. They are the meek, who are rarely and hardly provoked, but quickly and easily pacified, and would rather forgive 20 injuries than revenge one. Hmm. Let me repeat that. They would rather forgive 20 injuries 
than revenge one having the rule of their own spirits. Wow. Uh, you can look that up. It's in Matthew Henry's commentary, Matthew 5, 5. It's an excellent statement of what meekness means. And it's a summary of what we've seen in all of these passages. So the, the next question, and we'll deal more briefly with these others. Where does it come from? How do we get it? Well, guess what? <laughs> As we've seen with so far the previous seven, it comes from the Spirit. It's the Spirit's fruit. He is the one who works this by His Word, working through his word in our lives. Now, as society abandons God's word, God's standard, even in common grace, we'll see less and less of this in society. We hear it said of times gone by, I'm sure you've heard something like this, well, that was a kinder, gentler age. Well, it was. The Western world was transformed from a place where babies were put out to die if they were not wanted, where women were treated as property or second class. Uh, even the society was eventually transformed, and it took a while, from a place where slavery was common. How did this happen? What transformed Western society from the violence and the bitterness and the ugliness that if you look back, that's what the world was? Western society was, the Roman world was, before Christ. What transformed the world? The gospel, the grace, the fruit of the Spirit, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, things like these. That's, that was the world, and it still is to a degree, but it's not as bad as it used to be. We moan and groan about how our society is falling apart, and it is, but it used to be really worse before Christ. And dear friend, if you, as I read those contrasting descriptions, the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, it, it's, it, it's so shocking, isn't it? I mean, it's so bad, the one, and so realistic, and so wonderful, the other, Dear friend, where are you? You see, unless you have Christ, unless you have his spirit working in your life, that former description of the deeds of the flesh is not just something you fall into and feel guilty about you know, from time to time, but it's, that's you. And it's only the Holy Spirit can take a person like that and do this marvelous work of transformation to make you manifest the fruit of the Spirit. And so, friend, you need to come to Jesus. You need Christ. You say, well, I'll do my best. I'm, I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Yeah. As they say, and it's not my expression, good luck with that. You know? In other words, not going to happen. You can, you can wish it all you want. Saying so, don't make it so. You need Jesus. You need pardon, forgiveness, a new heart, a new life. And Jesus gives that. You know, I, I try to put myself, and I, I don't know if you can do this. If you've been a Christian for a, for a long time, maybe 30, 40, 50 years, I, I'm getting up there. 
But try to put yourself in the place of somebody who walks into this room, never heard the gospel, lives in the world, and they say, what planet are these people from? I remember when I was a, a teenager, we went, our church had a mission down in Jersey City. It was street kids. I mean, these were, it was a rough neighborhood. And this one kid came to, and said to me, actually, there's a couple of these teenagers. You know, we appreciate what you're trying to do here, but listen, it won't work in this place. This is a rough neighborhood. What you're trying to teach, it's not going to work here. Dear friend, it does work. It takes people out of the deeds of the flesh section and translates them into the fruit of the Spirit. It's powerful. And so, believe me, you have living witnesses and testimonies here in this room of what Christ has done for us. And what he's done for me and for people in this room, he can do for you. That's the power of the gospel. So you need Christ. You need the gospel. You need to be transformed. And for us who are God's people, yeah, we want to see more of this fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It means we sow to the Spirit. That means we pray, we read His Word. As I've said every, every week, week by week, pray in these things. Go through the fruit of the Spirit. Pray, oh Lord, make me more gentle. I'm, a, I'm pretty rough around the edges. I, I've got some, you know, I can say some things that I regret saying, but I say them. Pray, Lord, make me more gentle in my dealings with others. Make me more submissive to your, I grumble and complain, a little thing, man. A mute Christian under the smarting rod that's how Thomas, uh, or how Rich, how uh, Brooks wrote in his book. That's what we want to see. Pray, read your Bible. It's found in the Imitation of Christ. We saw there in those couple of verses in Matthew, Jesus is gentle. He submitted to his Father's will. He did not respond in hatred and malice and angry words. Those opposite things, violence and anger. Outbursts of anger. He didn't respond that way. What do we read of him in 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23? You have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, and would that we could follow those steps perfectly. And while being reviled, and here's the point, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I can't take this. What he did to me. Wait a minute. Trust yourself to the one who judges. He'll take care of it. He's got this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Just leave that business to me. You just go on. Trust me. Jesus kept entrusting himself to his Father in heaven. Brethren, that's meekness. That's gentleness. We need to manifest this. It's found by following the example of Jesus. Meditate on him. As you read the gospel accounts, consider him. 
Consider Jesus. We read again in Hebrews chapter 12, not too long ago. Consider him. It's found in following other good examples. Look at, again, Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10.1. Now I, Paul, urge you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Okay, Paul, that's by Jesus. But then he goes on again and says, I who am meek when face to face with you. You've seen me. You've seen how I deal with you. Yeah. Now these guys, Corinthians? I'll be honest with you. You know, people have at times invited me to pastor this church or that church in my many years. And sometimes I think, yeah, pastor of that church, Oof. you know, <laughs> and kill me, <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be the death of me to pastor some, some of these people. Thankfully, that's not you. I didn't say that about you guys. <laughs> Corinth, you want to pastor Corinth? And Paul said, I who am meek when face to face with you. He put up with a lot from these people and did it with gentleness. He's a good example. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. He says in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7, we prove to be gentle among you. Now it's a different word. It's the word uh, actually like little children among you as a nursing mother cares for her own children. That's how we were with you. We were like a nursing mom. Huh, you're going to think you're going to eat here, huh? <laughs> no. Gentle. You think of a nursing mother holding that baby to her breast. That's his, Paul says, that's what we were like with you. Well, here's a good example. Elders should be good examples. In fact, Paul says in his qualifications of overseers in 1 Timothy 3, an overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious. That's one of those opposite kind of words. But, and it's a synonym, but gentle. Gentle. Uncontentious. Free from the love of my elders. Your elders, you know... We're not perfect, so don't put us up on a pedestal because you'll see our clay feet <laughs> you do that. But we do seek to deal with you in love and mercy and gentleness. Again, not perfectly, but I think, I think you've got some men here, and I think of my four fellow elders, who deal with you in this way. Look to good examples, as Paul said to the Corinthians. So, where does it come from? Well, pray for it. It comes from the Spirit. Come to Christ. It's found in answer to prayer. It's found in the imitation of Christ. It's found in following good examples. And I think you can think of some here in this room, not just the elders, who are good examples of gentle men and gentle women. What hinders our gentleness? Hastening on. What hinders it? Provocations. Yeah. There are people who push your buttons. <laughs> you know some of those? They'll, they'll, they're going to, they know <laughs> what buttons to push to get you upset, make you fly off the handle and make you lose your gentleness, whether it's your boss, whether it's your husband or your wife or your kids. You think you're patient and, and gentle. Well, you just have kids. Uh, your employees, maybe it is, but that's no excuse. You don't know the, I work with turkeys. 
Okay. Then you show, show yourself gentle among those turkeys. Pray in advance before you go to work. Tiredness. I find this myself. Tiredness that can lead to irritability. And I will often on a Monday morning pray even more for <laughs> patience and gentleness because I know I'm more easily provoked. God hears and answers prayer. Pride and self-will. I was listening to a biography of Winston Churchill, and, and he was reported to have said, of course I'm an egotist. If you're not an egotist, you don't accomplish anything. Well, he did accomplish a lot, and we can be thankful that he was there during World War II. But at the same time, he was not a, he was not a Christian man. He did not exude this gentleness of Christ. He was an egotist. Or think of Muhammad Ali. I'm the greatest. Is that a Christian attitude? <laughs> now, can you think of a Christian boxer? I can. Manny Pacquiao. Yeah, Filipino. Professing Christian. Don't, never met him. But he's a different character from Muhammad Ali. Doesn't go around strutting and saying, I'm the greatest. Pride and arrogance are the opposite of gentleness. Humility goes along with gentleness. Let's be honest. All right, it does come by grace, but you know, one hindrance to gentleness in grace can be poor parental training. Some of you are starting, you know, with a couple strikes against you, as it were, because you were not trained, you did not grow up in gentle homes. Some of you, like that character, that, that person I met down in Jersey City, said, it's not going to work here. It's not going to work with me because I, I, came, I grew up like this. Well, you may have a little more work to do. The Holy Spirit may have more, more work to do is what you mean. Because the Word of God tells us in, first, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. You go to him. God, you've said, you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness. Gentleness pertains to godliness. Oh, Lord, help me overcome this upbringing, this training that was training in harshness. That was training in violence. That was training in self-seeking. Oh, God, help me. Help me. To overcome because of your grace. Don't make excuses. Look to God for grace. So what does it mean for us as we come to wrap things up this evening? Well, again, the first question is, are you gentle? As you look in the mirror at your own soul, do you humbly submit to God's word? Or do you kick against the pricks? Saul, Saul. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. Well, he wasn't a Christian man then. But when he was converted... We see him gently accepting the pricks of God's providence. Five times he received the 39 lashes. Not easy thing, but he received it. Are you gentle? Or can you bear up hard under hardship without screaming and kicking and complaining? without withdrawing in self-pity. 
You say, I can't help myself. Well, if you can't help yourself, he who commits sin is a slave of sin. If you're still a slave of sin, you're not a Christian. Because God, by his grace, will help you help yourself. He will change you. You come to him. You come to him and say, just as I am. With this plea. Jesus' blood was shed to wash me from sin and change me and make me new. Make me new. Come to him with that plea. Not your goodness, not your kindness or gentleness, but his goodness and his gentleness. Do you want to be more gentle? Again, pray. But you know, you don't just pray. 1 Timothy 6.11. Here's a command to Timothy, that man of God. But flee from these things, you man of God. Those are you know, sins. And pursue... That means you get up off your duff and you chase it. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Track it down. Go after it. Are you determined to be a gentle man and woman? Or woman? Are you determined? God take me. I'm a I'm a pretty grumbly, rough-edged person. Change me. Go after it. Pursue it. How does this act? How do we notice gentleness? Well, as submission to providence, I said, the mute Christian under the smarting rod, Thomas Brooks. That's meekness and gentleness in action. Also, walking worthy of the gospel in the church. You know, your gentleness will be tried in church. Wait a minute. I'm with gentle people, right? Well, not always. Remember the Corinthians? Well, thankfully, we're not in Corinth. I remember Pastor Martin saying, okay, you want a New Testament church? Which one? Corinth? <laughs> no, thanks. Well, thankfully, we're not in a church like the church in Corinth. But your gentleness will be tried. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians. If you want to walk worthy of the gospel in church... This is what it looks like. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk worthy, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love. These words sound familiar, right? being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, humility, gentleness. See, gentleness, when this is exercised in the church of Jesus Christ, what does it produce? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. You ever been in a church fuss? You know what I'm talking about? Where people get upset with the elders, maybe, and they go on and carry on. And I've, I've been in some church meetings, thankfully not here. Uh, I didn't witness it here, where some angry and bitter words were spoken. They were not gentle. If we are walking worthy of the Lord, we will conduct ourselves with humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance, and that will result in the unity of the Spirit as we work to preserve it in the bond of peace. We need gentleness in the church. This is where it should be seen as well as outside. And that's the next thing. 
Well, no, not quite the next. Sometimes troubles do come in a church. How do we deal with that? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 3. The overseer, I mentioned this, must be above reproach, gentle. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. How does Paul instruct Timothy to deal with some difficult people? He says, 2 Timothy 2, 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. I think that's a good translation. But be kind to all able to teach, patient when wronged, notice verse 25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses, escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. What a lot of mess in churches would be cured, maybe not prevented, if all, especially the leaders, and I'm pointing the finger at myself, dealt with these things in gentleness, with gentleness. Pray for us. <laughs> Pray for us all. As we have to respond to some things in the church of Jesus Christ that we would deal always like Jesus, not crushing the bruised weak. Oh yeah, we have to deal firmly. And there are times even when church discipline is called for. Look at Galatians 6.1. This is just a few verses after our uh, key text. Galatians 6 and verse 1. How do we deal then when there has to be church discipline? That sounds pretty harsh. Some churches don't even do it. They say, oh, you, you can't do that and be gentle. Oh, no, wait a minute. Galatians 6.1, brethren, even if a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. Gentleness. So in our church, we all, especially your leaders, desire to manifest this gentleness. In evangelism, how about with the world? How do we deal with the world? Look at 1 Peter 3.15. This word comes up again. 1 Peter 3.15. I mentioned that if we are living this way before the world, the world may come to us and ask, oh, what, what makes you different? You know, you're weird. What makes you so weird? <laughs> you ever get that question? It's a good question. Gives you opportunity. Yeah, we're weird compared to the world because we're gentle. The world is not. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, make an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. You know, sometimes some people come to you and it's not quite so, why are you so weird? What makes you different? But ah, I don't know about you. And they come very offensively. How are you going to react to that? You're going to put up your dukes? You're going to lash back? Yet with gentleness and fear or respect. Yeah, this is how you deal with people. Not with argumentativeness. Not with offensiveness, but with gentleness and reverence, respect, fear. This gentleness 
is a winsome quality. It's not weakness. No, no. Oh, yes, you have to be strong to be gentle in this world. It calls for great strength of character to face the offense of the world with a defense of gentleness. That's grace. The world is going to take notice. May they do so, and may our gentle character call them to turn from their sin and turn to our Savior. Last verses for tonight. Look at Titus chapter 3. As Titus uses this word also, or Paul writing to Titus rather. Titus chapter 3. And we've seen some of these other words that uh, have shown up. And I think I've used this passage before in our series. He says to the people in Crete, or to Titus, to tell them, he says, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. Now, what's going to move these Christians in Crete to be gentle to the slow-bellied, tough people that he's working with there on this island? Well, we also were once foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's not very gentle. But that's what you used to be, he says. But now you're gentle. Now you should be. You should manifest the Spirit's fruit. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, when He showed His gentleness to you, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is what God did for us in Christ. Now live it. As we go out into the world, as we deal with one another, as we submit to God's providences. Brethren, here at Trinity Baptist Church, I don't just stand here to fill up the hour and a half to finish it up. Okay, what's I'm oh my time is gone. I have a goal. I have a purpose. And that is to see each of you dealing more gently with this wicked world in response to God's providence that this would be manifest, tangible in my life and in yours. I don't know about you, but preaching this series has been good for my soul. And I pray that it's so for you as well. Let us exude the savor of this fruit into this sin-cursed world. It will be delicious. Let's pray. Father, we confess that all too often we 
are still found doing the deeds of the flesh. We turn from them. We reject them. We despise them. We hate them in ourselves. We ask that you would so work in us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that the world would take notice and ask us to give a reason for the hope that's in us, for this change that has taken place, and that they would be drawn to the Savior. May we make a difference in this wicked, sin-cursed world in which you've placed us, that we would shine like stars, holding forth the word of life, and that it would bear much fruit. For those who don't yet know the Savior, may they see themselves in the mirror of your word, see the ugliness of sin, turn from it, flee to Jesus, and find mercy, grace, pardon, acceptance, new life, all that is found in him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.